December 1st, 2021. The class tonight is how to give names. We talked in the past about giving names, and tonight we'll talk about how to give names. Uh, what do I mean by how to give names? I'm not giving you advice on how to name your children. I'm not giving you advice on how to give names in a uh, practical and realistic sense. I'm talking about how to give names bi- biblical style, uh, how, how in the Torah names are perceived of and what in turn that, uh, what sort of lessons, what sort of concepts underlie that. Now, brief introduction, twofold. One is last week's class, or two weeks ago class at this point. Two weeks ago, we talked about just giving names in the Torah, and we noticed uh, this pasuk, which is on on the sheet over here as well. Where is it? What source? Uh, source number eight. Source number eight is the pasuk with regards to not God giving names, but to Adam giving names. So it's a description of God's construction of living entities, of beings in this world, and then bringing them in front of Adam and prompting him, it appears, to give names to them. And we compared that to the names which God gave to the different creations over the course of the six days of creation from day one when it's Vayikra Elohim Laor Yom Velahoshech Kara Laila, names. And we notice the words of Ramban that names seem to designate a separation of sort. When you give something a name, you're saying this is the name as opposed to anything else. You're giving it its set in characteristics. You're understanding it. That's what it means, generally speaking, when we have a name. I'm that one as opposed to another one based on my name in a very real sense. That's the giving names. And furthermore, in the, the macro vision of it, or the, the vision from afar of it, it goes as follows. This is God turning to Adam and saying, finish creation. I began creation. I gave names. And to everything that I gave name, to a certain extent, I brought it to a further or ending point. Now I'm bringing the animals to you, and I'm asking you to finish that up, give them their identity, be able to separate them, distinguish them from others. That's the significance in general of giving names, at the very least for Adam Harishon, in general in life. When a person gives a name in a real sense, not just gives a name to a child when they're born, a person is designating the reality of something to the distinction and in contrast to everything else. Additionally, as a point of introduction, we've discussed over the course, course of many classes, and Ralph, you'll have to excuse me, just in a few moments, don't argue within the first few moments. We've discussed how uh, what seems to have happened with Adam Harishon and in turn with all of humanity is there's a, uh, there's a, a, a progression, which means to say, um, or maybe a dissension, but it's a reality of life that in this gun where this, this reality, which Harambam calls emet en sheker, a world of absolutes of sorts, in which it's true or false. The classic examples are two plus two equals four is true as opposed to it's good. That's a life prior to humanity's birth. It's a life of gan eden existence. It's a life before eating from Ez hadat, which births for humanity, or is the moment during which human beings become, as we know them, human beings. Good and bad is not true and false. When I talk about something being good, you can disagree with me. You could say, I thought it was bad. And neither one of us will be, per se, right, because we're talking about subjective realities. Emet and Sheker is objective realities. Tov and Raya is subjective, human-like realities. 
both realities. But the question is, when you live in a world after Gan Eden, is what we've been teasing out and discussing again and again and again, well, what is the method of life outside of that Gan? In the Gan, so you're told, don't eat from that Etzadat, so to speak, live in a world of Le'ovdao Le'shomra, as Perkeder Bilyezer, which we developed and discussed, as Targum Yonatan, Targum Yerushalmi suggests, Le'ovdao Le'shomra is conceptually a reference to Torah and Mitzvot, Torah and Mitzvot, Emet and Sheker, absolute reality. That's God telling you this is what's right. This is what's true. That's a life in Gan Eden. Nothing more and nothing less. The decision, the determination. When she looks at this tree and determines in that moment that this is Tob, well, that's already her fall. Her fall is, my goodness, I can see in this something that looks good. Good is a human feature. Good is a human determination. Now, after this life in the Gan, my life, your life, all of our life, life as we know it for the last many thousand years, if not all the way back, well, how are we supposed to operate in this world? Well, certainly we're supposed to have a certain structure, a certain perspective, which is provided through Emet and Sheikh. I have Torah, I have the words of God, I study science, I understand the world around me. That is my determination, that's my guiding light. But does that mean I should therefore shy away from human involvements, human perspectives? Does it mean as a result I live in a world which is emet and sheker, shying away and shielding myself from that tov and ra world which surrounds me? I'd like to get away from it. And as we've discussed again and again and again, and my example for it, because I think it's the best example for it, is to play politics in any profession, in any field, is an absolute necessity. You cannot and will not be successful to the extent that you could be in whatever field you're in unless you know how to maneuver with the people. I'm not talking about a negative manipulation. I'm talking about an appropriate one. I'm talking about to be successful in finding truth, in perceiving it, in teaching it, in preaching it, in discovering it. Well, you need to live in a world of humanity. It's the world that we know. And as a result, if you're going to recede from it, if you're going to cloister yourself off from the world as we know it. If you're to be, our examples we've given, Noah after the Mabul, if you're to be a Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, if you're to be an individual who believes that they can now avoid a world of Tov and Ra, never lying that Gemara and Masechet Sanhedrin, well then you're just not going to be able to be successful at even finding Emet and Sheker, because by definition, as a human being, the constructs, the lenses through which you see this world and perceive it are as a human being. So yes, you're searching and you're seeking for divinity. You want to understand truth. How are you going to find truth? You can't be an absolute individual. That will bring you to Unabomber manifestos in which you'll talk about and you'll state with full certainty, I should be blowing up everyone because they preach Sheker. That can't be a life of a human being. I would suggest in this class that even in the Gan, because what we've discussed thus far is, this is a contrast between in the Gan and out of the Gan. Out of the Gan, world of Tov and Ra, embrace it. Aloim tetib se'et is what God says to Cain after he's going to have to live this real world. Tetib, you have to do Tov. Vim lo tetib la hatat rovet. We've discussed, and generally speaking, it's the right perspective. The life and reality as we know it outside of the Gan is live with Tovina. Yearn for Emet and Sheikh, but live with Tovina. I'd suggest in this class that even in the Gan, there never could have been an existence 
even as quote-unquote angelic as our vision of Adam and Chava were, they needed to be involved, perhaps in a lesser extent, with a real existence of Tov and Ra. They were ultimately speaking human beings. There was no society built around them. It was Vitem Kelohim when you eat from that tree. But in some way or fashion, in many ways and fashions, I'm going to suggest they were supposed to, even in the Gan, even in ideal life, live, quote, as a human being with subjective determinations. They needed to know how to do it appropriately. But they were supposed to even then, to make the point to you even further, to live life as a human being in this world, to understand the world as a human being, does not negate, if anything, it enhances, and it was even so then, in the eyes of the Torah, enhances your understanding of Emet and Sheke. Well, I'll, I'll hopefully not prove, but suggest that from several proofs and several understandings. The first is, I mentioned it on Sunday. The first is a pasuk, two pesukim in Parashat Bereshit, which describe God's commands to Adam, to Adam upon placing him in Gan Eden. By Savadon Elohim al Adam Lemor, source number one, Mikol Etzagan Achol Telchel. That's an interesting pasuk. There's a command, it appears in the most literal sense, to eat from all the trees of the garden. That's what it says. However, the next pasuk is, Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and bad. Boy, you told me first to eat from all the trees. It seemed to be all inclusive. If I'm a literal reader over here of the text, the first verse, the first pasuk tells me, pasuk tetzai, eat from all the trees, including to eat from all the trees. However, don't eat from So why'd you phrase it like that? Just say to me instead, don't eat from Of course I can eat from all the other trees. Instead, there's a command, eat from all the trees, but don't eat from that one. It appears as if the text is in some way, in some cryptic fashion, getting across some hidden message. The Perush of Ricanati, it's Rabbeinu Menachem Ricanati, who was an Italian, now I know, 13th century, early 14th century, I think as well, Italian Kabbalist. He was a mystic. He cites from Zohar, but his general understanding, we'll read a little bit of it inside, goes as follows. The command on Adam and Hava went as follows in the Kabbalistic fashion. In his reading of these Sukim, based on Zohar as well, like this. I want you to, Adam, eat from all the trees. Wait a second, does that mean even it's a datovar? Absolutely. Really? However, eat it together with it's a hayim. You can't eat it on its own. That's pasuk yodzayim, it's a datovara, don't eat from it. But I do want you eating from it's a dat, just together with it's a hayim. Do you understand? Again, I do want you, go ahead, Al. Say it again. Should have gone as follows. Skip pasuk tezayim. If I bring you into a room that's filled with, I don't know, I just came from a Hanukkah party, candy. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying just don't eat this candy. Of course you could eat all the candy. It's strange. Listen, I'm not arguing Ali Peshat. I'm arguing Zohar. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, this, is, this, this, this comment, as are several others, are not a Peshat comment, but I want you to hear the words of Zohar. His reading of it is, it shouldn't have said it that way. He goes further. Zohar says this, and Rikanati quotes her, he says, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov all ate from the tree. That's a fascinating statement. He's saying they all ate from Eitz Haddad. Seriously? I, of course, I, it's not talking about a literal sense, but he's describing, and my understanding of it, an involvement in this world with people, subjective existence. So how's that possible? The answer? Because they ate it together with it. It's a hayim. 
To put it again in a practical sense, it means that you have as the guiding light, the Shabbat, the Torah, the Mishkan, all of our net and sheker existences we've discussed, the Le'obdao, the Shomra realities, while living within a regular world. That's the description. So the understanding, read it together with me. And by the way, Ali, it's furthermore, because it's Vaisav. It begins with a command. So why set it up like that? What's that? Why set it up at all like that? That is... I want you eating it together with Etzahayim. Their determination is I'd rather just eat it. That's your interpretation? That's Rikanati based on Zohar. But you won't say that it means... The fruits, fruit. ah, of course, that's the way you go. That's not the way Zohar goes, it's not the way Rikanati goes, but I, I could have predicted you were going that I'm way. Saying, I mean, no, it's, it's nice. It's right. Um, I, mean, no, no, I got you. I'm accepting. It's not the way it goes. Again, so it's not so much a setup because again, I walked you into a room and I put in front of you all the fruits. All the candies. I say, eat them all, according to this understanding. And I'm commanding you to eat them all, but only if you eat them all. If you're just going to eat from that one without all the other ones, or without specifically that one right next to it, then I don't want you eating from it at all. Yes, that's the script. After all, they eat from Etzadat, God banishes them and says, I don't want them now to touch Etzahayim because they started with Etzadat without a perspective of Etzahayim. I want them now to work toward Etzahayim. As we've discussed, says Rikanati, says Rosel Omar, all as one. Eat it all. Shahare Avraham Tafi Akov David, yes, David Shayura Gleha Merkava, Kolehad Achal, Mi Perigan Eden, Velokahu Shinehem, Kiachilum Behud Hakol. Their teeth, so to speak, didn't rot. In other words, they didn't go wrong by eating from, quote unquote, all the candies or all the fruits, meaning even from Etzahedat. Sefer Azohar, Mikol Etzagan Achol Tochel, Vesharye Le Kula. It was permitted all of them as one. means on its own. If you eat just from it, says God, that's death. That's subjective. That's just human perspective. That's life without a barometer, without a perspective of emet and sheker. So already the description, again, just reading this, uh, not even Peshat and Pesukim necessarily, but again, it's Peshat and Pesukim in their mind, potentially from Vaisav. Because I tell you in the room, you're allowed to eat from all That's one thing. Over here it says, you must eat from all of them. It says, or you must eat from all of them. Yeah, you must eat from all of them if you're going to eat from Etzadat. However, don't eat from Etzadat on its own. Whether it's Peshat or not, but that's the description. But I bring you back to, where are we? We're in the Gan. You're telling me in the Gan? It's one thing that we've fought and I've described to you and I've made the point so many times that Da'atovara is a reality in life, not only a reality, you're supposed to embrace that reality. That's how you'll find the myth in Shekhar. That's after the Gan. Description over here is in the Gan. I'll go a step further. This is not in the Gan per se, but it gives you a perspective on in the Gan. The Gemaraim Masech Perachot and Daf Memamudalf. This is in the Gan. The perspective I'm bringing you to is not in. The Gemara has a well known three way machlo as to what type of fruit was it that they ate from. Of course, everyone's instinctive answer is apples. Apples is a Christian concept, if I'm not mistaken, that they ate from an apple. Instead, the Chachamim have three different opinions. Rabbi Meir says it was gefim. It was a, uh, a, a vine of... Um, 
what's it called? Grapes, which would turn, I guess, Gefin, sounds like it was wine-like. Rabina Hamyalmer, Te'ena Hayata, it was a fig tree. Rabbi Udaomer, Hita Hayata, it was not a tree at all, per se, but it was, we'll call it a tree. It was wheat. Each one of those opinions brings sourcing and understanding from the Pesukim to their opinion. Uh, there is a long-standing Kabbalistic tradition, call it, if you will, that the reason that halacha dictates, dictates that at many, if not all, of our significant moments in Judaism, we use wine is for this reason, because Rabbi Meir is the operative opinion. Zohar adapts the opinion, adopts really the opinion of Rabbi Meir. What tree was it? It was a wine tree, or it was a, it was a grape tree, which turns into wine. As a result, um, by the way, I'm sorry, I neglect, I know you want me to say it. The Midrash says it was an etrog tree. Okay, but the Gemara has these three opinions. The Kabbalistic tradition, generally speaking, is the first opinion of Bimeir, that it was, it's Gefin. Well, what does that have to do with anything? The description, for example, here in source number four, of Chochmat Shilomo, but this, that's uh, Rabbi Shilomo Luria. It's an early source, that's from the time of Maran, 16th century. Um, but you have this in many, many, a little bit later, but Kabbalistic sources, the argument is Kiddush on Friday night, and so forth are all opportunities for us to do what's called tikkun. What do I mean by tikkun? Well, the fall of Adam Harishon was with Etz Gefin. You, in turn, will fix it with wine. But instead of drinking the wine as a way to sin, you'll say a beracha on it, you'll make kiddush on it, you'll turn it as into a method toward growth. Pause for a second. If you're telling me really that this is a commemoration, this is a way of realizing what Adam Harishon did wrong, I would tell you a different method. Stay away from wine. Halas, period. As a matter of fact, in Maaserav, if I'm not mistaken, Gaon Mivilna says on Rosh Hashanah, the Kabbalists say not to drink or not to eat grapes. And some of them, if I remember correctly, say the reason is Adam Harishon's birthday was, according to tradition, on Rosh Hashanah. He fell prey through its gefin. As a result, stay away from of course, you can't you have to say kiddush, but stay away from grapes on that. That makes a lot of sense to me. To argue instead that our tikkun is going to be by drinking the wine? I mean, what are you talking about? Stay away from it. Unless it's hen hen devarim. In other words, the point is, this was never a plan to keep him away, so to speak, from that etz. It was just to keep him away from the etz if he doesn't do it together with emet and sheik, if he doesn't do it with the beracha. It was to see the etz as vatere ha'isha kitob, to see the etz through my own prism, just eating it because I say so, as opposed to eating it together with the Etzah Hayim, as opposed to eating it together with a barometer of Emet and Sheikh, as opposed to eating it as part of my Avodah and Shemirah and the Gan. That's the tradition. That's the tikkun in turn. Of course, embrace it. Go with it. Live in that world of tov and ra. Live a life in which you're eating consistently. Drink from it at any opportunity you have. But say the beracha on it. In other words, redeem it as an opportunity not to fall, but to raise yourself, because that's the way it was supposed to be, is what I'm suggesting. I'll go a step further. There is, as I've mentioned, as we're all familiar, a major and foundational command to Adam and Hava in the garden, and that is Peru Urvu. Peru Urvu is a command which they're told almost upon inception. And yet, the Pesukim only tell us in Perik Dalid, the very beginning, that's after banishment from the garden, that they actually fulfill Peru Urvu. I think we're familiar with this. I've made this point on several occasions. Source number four. What's that? 
It's told to both of them. There's a mahlokid in, in, in uh, Mefarshim, whether women are misuvot on Piriyah We generally assume they're not. They are mitzuvot on lo tohu bira'ala shevet yisara. So they have some command, but not peru urvu. What's lo tohu bira'ala? It's, it's a derivative of the same mitzvah, probably not a mitzvah from the Torah, but it's more, and it's less outcome-based. It's more the activity and involvement in it. Uh, you're not created in a world of tohu. You're rather supposed to lashevet yisara. You're supposed to be able to settle both yourself and the yisur of the world. It's a different derivative, but it's not the mitzvah from the Torah. A longer halachic conversation. But ultimately speaking, peru is what they're told. In the most simple sense, both Adam and Hava, they want to confine it to Adam, okay. Regardless, they don't fulfill it in the Peshat Pesukim until chapter 4. Chapter 2 is banishment. Chapter 3, I don't understand. Excuse me, chapter 3 is banishment. Chapter 4 is when they fulfill it. Why only in Perek Dalet? Why is it only afterwards? The Pasuk says, Adam, and yes, I bolded on purpose. Yada et vatomer kaniti adonai. Now the Lashon in the Torah for relations is Yidi'ah, which is significant. What? After banishment. This is after banishment. That's right, Peshat. Peshat and Pesukim. That's right. Yeah, I, you're, you're going to argue, as is Ralph, that... Okay, that the Gemara says differently, that Rashi says differently. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It says, you're too well behaved, because I was ready to fight a lot of these points. The Adam Yada, so Adam has these relations with Hava, sounds like after the banishment. Again, note and keep in mind, Yada is our word. It's, it's Hadat. Dat is the operative word of what you're not supposed to be doing, I thought. And yet the command was when you're in the garden, peru urvu, which you're going to fulfill, I imagine, through dot. Again, dot means making connections, we generally assume. So one second, the only way I could have fulfilled, and yet it appears as if I only do it afterwards, this, this command was with dot, but I'm not allowed to have dot, unless you are allowed to have dot. You just have to have dot together with it. It's a hayit. Tov and was never forbidden. I want you to do tov my command, uh, my, my command assumes you're going to do tov and ra. You're not going to be able to be yodeh ishtecha unless you actually eat from this tree, unless you actually have human urges and drives. In fact, Ibn Ezra suggests, and this mahlokit you'll see is a little less significant in the light that I'm presenting it in now. Ibn Ezra suggests the Pesukim exactly kipshutam. Says Ibn Ezra, the only reason they have relations, it's in source number six, after leaving, after banishments, because now they realize we're not going to live forever. Not going to live forever. We're human beings. We're not angelic. We may as well build a legacy now. I mean, was, uh, I mean, we're not we're not going to live forever. When we were in the garden, why fulfill it now? I'll fulfill it in another billion years from now. What's that? There's a there's a fear. There's a panic. I need a legacy. I need a heritage. Yeah, because when the command for Etzadah, the repercussions. This is the same idea. And they're saying, hey, which how do we do? That's right. And they dive into it, and they, and they dive into it, and they do it right at that moment. Which right, right. No, no. Which is ironic for some reason she gave him the fruit or whatever it is, so he died too. I understand. I understand. I'm Which just uh, no, but the irony. But again, yeah. I understand. The irony is that brings them to fulfillment of God's will, of God's word. Rashi says this Yidiyah was before banishment. That's what Rashi writes in source number seven. He says kivar kodem inyan shel maala. He says, you should know, Cain and Hevel were born in the garden. They were conceived in the garden, the relations were in the garden, everything took place in the garden. That's a fascinating statement. 
Rashi says they did Yediyat in the garden. Are you serious? They did it in the garden. Before eating from the tree? Yeah, before eating from the tree. They practice Yediyat in the garden. That's right. They had to practice it. I love the Rashi. I used to always say Peshat is like Ibn Ezra. Zohar has it like Ibn Ezra. And he used to bother me, the Rashi. But now I understand the Rashi on a whole greater level, a whole deeper level, because Rashi is stating even in the garden, life as a human being by definition means you're going to have to do Yediyah. You're going to have to live as a human being. You're going to have to go with your tendencies, your urges, your understandings as a human being, your emotions, your inflections. All of that is healthy and necessary. But just do it right. So they did it, according to Rashi, right before they mess it up. According to Ibn Ezra, they couldn't get it right until they mess up and then they do it outside. But ultimately speaking, these first three points are the same and I'll only bring it home with two more examples of it could not and would not ever be a life of human being existence, of humanity, without human tendencies. It cannot and will not exist. We always say, well, that's, we always have said, well, that's what it was in the gun, and it was a difficult situation. It couldn't be. According to Rashi, she got pregnant and gave birth in the garden. Rashi says this is out of order in Muqtam al Torah. Okay. I'm just I don't understand the question. I understand. What's the question? Nobody argued that tikkun happened immediately. I'm just saying, in the gun, I only want you to attack me on my point. In the gun, they had they they needed to have yediyah. They needed to. I have always felt a little bit differently. I've always felt this was a catch twenty two situation. You're placed in the garden where you can only live in it and shake it, but I want you to do yediyah. I want you to have children. And I always said, the ironic reality is God sets them up for, quote, failure in order to take them out. I understand it a little bit differently now because I'm suggesting now, God doesn't set them up for failure. God sets them up to do this right in the garden. Not so easy to do right. Not so easy to live my life as a human being with my human tendencies, embracing them, engaging with them while at the same time having the proper structure of it's a haim of le'obda But that was their plan. What's that? If they do it right, if we do it right, it's over. Is there yes. a Kabbalistic opinion that the actual act of eating was the actual act of eating from the apple wasn't actually eating from whatever the tree was actually Whether it's Kabbalistic or not, it's Harari-ish. I always say the act mm-hmm. of deciding to eat was Yediyah. Immediately, those words, she sees that the fruit is oh, good for eating. Done, right there. I say it all the time. So that is Yediyah Tovra. I'm suggesting further, Rashi tells you, she had it even beforehand. She just did it right beforehand. And was, I'm not going to banish you when you do it right. You were eating, quote unquote, you had in mind the right thing. It's only when you ate from it with the mindset of, I play God over here, right, the first class. I'm playing God, I see that it's good, and I make this determination. That's where you go wrong. Okay, now I bring you to the naming. Go ahead. You're is the same as Yediyah in the aspect of eating from Yes, Yediyah. yes. So Yediyah in relations is Yediyah Tovara. It is a, it is a manifestation of Yediyah Tovara. In order to come together with another human being, to decide to engage in a romantic rendezvous, to have a child, to involve yourself in this world, that's all Yediyah Tovara. That's human stuff. Angels are not having children. God is not having children. Emet and Sheikha, why do I need that? I was Nivra Yehidi for a reason. I am an individual. I'll establish this and build this all on my own. What do I need others for? 
That's all Yidi'ah Tovara. And that's why Yidi'ah is used over there. It's about making connections. That's human-like. That's, that, 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 that's what it's about over here. Yeah. I'll go a step further now. The names. I'll bring you to the names. Again, I began the class. I gave you that introduction. I reminded you about the names. I'll bring you back to the names now. The names. So Adam is brought in the garden. The animals. Give them names, Adam. I'll give them names. How am I going to give them names? Fascinating, strange statements from Rashi, from the Hachamim. Says Rashi in source number nine, how did he get to know these animals? How would a person get to know animals? Well, you can spend some time with them. Says Rashi, Milamed, in source number nine, Sheba Adam al kol vehaya. He had relations with each, with each one of them. It's very scary thoughts for us to envision not only a human being, our first human being, as the Torah describes it, having relations with all the animals, but doing it in the garden before, quote unquote, he sins. That's the way he's doing it. So don't take this too seriously. I, I, I mean, in, in the literal sense, I don't think it should be taken literally. No, it's the arm. And they can full-fledged connections. He's doing tov and ra. We, in, in the practical human expression of it with other human beings, we do it in a literal sense. We need not, you can, I, I'm, I'm not, maybe it's only my, you know, my bias as, you know, I don't want to come from that, so to speak, but you need not explain it in the literal sense, because what's the point of the Midrash more than anything? It's not about, it's not about history, I don't think. The text doesn't tell us this history lesson. It's about describing what Adam is doing at this time. Adam is, in order to finish creation, which is the giving of names, say the Hachamim, he needs to make connections over here. He needs to involve himself as a human being in this world. He can't think in the absolute abstract sense. He needs to actually grasp these. If he plays God, it doesn't have a name. God set it up for him to give it a name. He's a human being. Human beings do it with Yedi'ah, with Yedi'ah Tov and Ra. That's the description again. So it means the names which are given in the garden are a product of Tov and Ra as well. That's what it is. You're getting to know, so to speak, these animals on a new level. On a level, what's that? He did before That's my point. It's exactly my point. It's exactly my point. Yes. Yes. I'm doing it with the Rashi as well. I'm doing it through and through. He had, he was mandated to have it beforehand. He needed to. You might ask, so how did he not sin then at those junctures? You can do Yidi'ah in the right way. What's that? Lo nitkarera. Nitkarera literally means to cool down. His mind was not cooled down. In other words, he was still all worked up. Da'atov was not, not cooled down. He still didn't have an absolute connection. He's waiting for the right connection. That's going to be with Hava. But he got to know all these in an intimate way. However you explain it. Again, it doesn't, it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable, maybe myself as well, that's what I'm saying. In other words, why am I telling you it's definitely not literal? Maybe it is literal, but again, the text doesn't tell me this. I think Rashi, the Hachamim, are making a point about Da'at, about the mandate of a human being, about how you're going to do this. You're going to do this through Yidiyah. You can't do this without Yidiyah. If you're doing this without Yidiyah, I don't need you. I would have put an angel in this world. It can't be even in the garden that you're supposed to live an absolute emet and sheker life. I'll bring you one last step. And, go ahead. But even if a human being lives in emet and sheker, he's still different from a malach because he has the potential to choose sheker. And a malach doesn't have the opportunity to choose. So why do you do that on the same level? 
I, I'm, you are right. A, a human being is still a bit different, but why create the human being is what I'm saying. Because you should be given another check but can he? But can he? If there's only emet and sheker, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, ultimately speaking, how did Adam make his way to sheker through Tov and Ra? Right? Did he not? You're saying that's different. I'm, I'm saying the way he got to sheker was only because Tov and Ra, which means to say, if you don't have the capacity for Tov and Ra, you are an angel and you only have emet. I mean, we're saying so, the same thing so then. Really I'm not certain. I'm not certain Harambam will agree with any of the things that I've said. And, and no, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you honestly. I'm not certain Harambam is very much. It seems to me, but maybe odd has, of course, from because I'm portraying to you Harambam. I make I make that clear. I'm not plagiarizing. I make clear I'm taking it from him. However, when all the dust settles for Harambam, you have to then ask yourself this question. I don't have the full answer to it. Would he agree with everything we're saying for Harambam? For example, in the ancient philosophical debate of whether human beings are greater than angels, Harambam's explicit angels are greater. Of course, it sounds like a theoretical conversation about nothing. But that's a, that's a bold statement already. It means the value of angels is greater, whereas everything I'm discussing here throughout these classes is that we come to a depth of emet only through Tov and Ra. Harambam, to the best of my knowledge, doesn't make that sort of point. Bimeir Ibn Gabai makes this point in Avodat HaKodesh. Nefesh Ha'ayim quotes it at the beginning of Sha'ar Aleph. But generally speaking, I don't find that in Harambam. So I'm not, I, just a parenthetical point. I don't know that Harambam would agree to any of this. I, if I remember correctly, in the Moreh, he writes that explicitly. Uh, it's always quoted as a mahloka between Harambam and Avodat Kodesh. Well, that being the case, I'll just take you one last step in terms of names in general in the Torah. As I said, I'm going to talk about the biblical concept of how to give names. So we already saw one way of giving names. And again, I, I want to just give you the point uh, uh, very clearly. Giving names in Bereshit is very significant. That is exerting Selim Elohim. That is exerting your godlike quality because he gives names and I, he turned to me to give names. I'm finishing creation by giving names and yet the only way to do it is with Tov and Ra, is with Yediyah. That's a fascinating thing. I'll tell you furthermore, it's a little bit of a stretch, but not so much so if you think about it. The names that are given throughout the Torah, Seforno makes a very keen observation. It comes from a Pasuk just two weeks ago in the Parashah. Pasuk describes Leah's exclamation of why she names her child Yehuda. Zot excuse me, not there. So it's number 10. Vatarod, Vateled bin, Vatomer, Hapa'am, Ode et Adonai. Alken Karea Shemo Yehuda. Interesting question, separate question. When we go back to learning parasha, I'll address it. Uh, inshallah, oh, we could have done it in the morning on Shabbat. What does it mean? This time, I will be thankful to God. Why is it this time is what Joe's saying? That's, the, that's what the Pasuk says. For my purposes right now, not that. It's that the name Yehuda is a spontaneous, organic outgrowth of the circumstance. My goodness, my, my, my aunt's name, my mother's oldest sister, her name is Mignon. Mignon, I think is French, some sort, for beauty or something like that, I don't know. When she was born, this is a story, my grandparents saw her and said, she's Mignon, she's just so Filet beautiful. Mignon. For like Filet Mignon, my friends, 
who, she lives in Israel, when we would eat at her home, they would say, let's go eat at filet. You know, that was always the thing, whatever. But that's, that's it. it's a unique name. But that's an organic, spontaneous name. I can't tell you my grandparents didn't have it planned beforehand. But what I will, I mean, I don't know. But what I can tell you is over here, that's the way the pasuk, it seems to be her novelty. It's the first time it appears as if someone's named Yehuda or something of that sort. Says, wait a second. I got this guy, he lived a little bit before Yehuda. Source number 11, Her name was Yehudit already. You made it as if you created the first Jew, Leah. Sorry, Esav already met the first, quote, Jew. But Be'eri Ha'chiti, one of the Ha'chitim, women from the countryside who has the same name. Now you could tell me maybe it was, what do you mean? We're talking about the name Yehuda. We're all excited about the name Yehuda. We give many divrei Torah. Anyone whose name is Yehuda on their bar mitzvah, at their wedding, you have such beautiful messages. It means to be modeh. It's time of being modeh. Hanukkah and all that sort of stuff. Wait a second. They were beaten by Isav's wife. Yehudit says, Sephorna, you should know, it was not a novelty. It was not organic. It was not spontaneous. She took Leah, an existent name, on the Hiti atmosphere line. And she adapted it. She adapted it as well. She took it and turned it into something of Kedusha. My words, she took a human expression, which was, inv- which was all over the place, and she turned it into a matter of she took Tovina and discovered a myth in it. Seforno brings another example. The Pasuk says we had this prophet, his name was Shemuel. It's a difficult Pasuk because Shiltiv, his name should be Shaul. Okay, the Pasuk says his name is Shemuel because from God he uh, was lent to me of some sort or I borrowed him. Well, we have a problem. The problem is in source number 14, Pasuk there was already someone named Shemuel. So was this Hannah's novelty or was she alternative? And you have so many of these examples if you pay attention. Names that already existed and then the spontaneous, all of a sudden, naming it that, that was, that was already existing. You didn't make this name up. Says Sephora, no, that's right. In these circumstances, what's taking place is, Hayu boharim ha-shemot ha-kodmim they took earlier ones and then they adapted them and brought them to theirs. There's a book, it's called Places in the Parasha. It's written by Yoel Elisur. It's a translation. It's written in Hebrew. And in it, he makes the point in different words that we're making in this class. He says, this is very much a Torah mission. The Torah never told us to shy away, my words, from Tovinah, from human existence. The Torah just says, see it through the prism of Emet and Sheker. That's what's taking there was a precedence for a name with they, they, they made the it their own. That's right. I say it all the time with Bavil. Bavil is this place where they construct the Torah's description of this ziggurat, right? This is Migdal Bavil. And then they named the place Bavil because there God was Mivalil. He was Mibalbil. He caused the whole confusion. If you know the etymology of the word, which I don't, but I've read about it, it's Bab-il. Bab in Arabic until today means a gate, right? Like Bawabe's gates. Uh, bab, like Bavakama. It's a gate. Bab-il is the gate of God. It was known as the place of the gate 
of God because they built a ziggurat, which was a temple for their God. That was the name of the place. Says the Torah, the name is Babel because their God confused their names. Are you lying to me, God? Are you tell me a lie in the Torah? No, I don't think so. I think he took an existent name and said, now we're going to understand this through the prism of God, so to speak. Lastly, I'll see you, Joe. Lastly, the Midrash, I, I found that this is quoted by Elisur in that book as well. He cites this Midrash. This Midrash goes as follows. It's a cryptic Midrash, which he gives an interpretation to. Amar Biyoseh Bar Hanina, En Shemotam Shel Shivatim Achor Lahem, Ela Hafut Lahem. Very cryptic. We'll translate the words, and then we'll translate the word in bracket. It says, the names of the Shivatim, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, and so forth, is not achor lahem. Achor is like foreign or dirty, something that doesn't belong. Ela hafot lahem. It's rather hemmed onto them. Uh, it's very hard to make out. What, what, what's the statement over there? The names of the Shivatim is not foreign. It's rather hemmed. Alternatively, and this is quoted apparently by Rashash. Rashash, who uh, lived about 200 years ago, his son was the librarian of the great library in Vilna. Just recently, I think Dan Rabinowitz wrote a book about him and the great library in Vilna. For many years, it was a very famous library because Vilna was this hotbed of both, both Maskelic and traditional Judaism. And they'd all come together in this library of sorts, which had manuscripts and classic and traditional texts, and many of the great Hachamim, Ashkenazic Hachamim of the, that generation spent time in this library, as did the Maskilim, the, the individuals who were not looking for, so to speak, religious messages. A fascinating story in and of itself. So it, there, he found in his one of his thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of manuscripts, he found a different version to this Midrash. The different version to the Midrash is instead of the word Achor, it's Avud. Which the words are very the letters are very similar. Achaf was a bet really, and the resh was really a dalid. What does the word avud mean? Avud means constructed, crafted. Their names weren't crafted for them. Their names were hemmed. What's the difference between something that's crafted and hemmed? It's the difference between if I get my suit made custom or I bought my suit in, I used to say century, I don't know now, what's the, whatever, in theory, and then I got it hemmed to fit me. What's the difference between those two circumstances? One is, let's call it emet and sheket. One is something out of nothing, organic. I named it Reuven because I named him Yehuda because that's not the way their names works. They weren't avud. They were rather Hafut. They were rather hemmed. What does it mean to be hemmed? To be hemmed means we're taking it from human existence. These names exist. These names are around. I'm taking those names and then turning them into something significant with regards to my relationship with God. I'm not negating the names. I'm not embarrassed by the names. I'm not embarrassed by knowing the names. I embrace those names. It's who I am. I'm a human being. I live in this world. People around me have those names. But I now understand them on a deeper level because bringing us back to our initial source, instead of just eating from the etzadat in a vacuum, instead of just living in that human world, I have a sivui. The sivui is to eat from the etzadat together with the etzahayim, is to be able to find in those names which appear to be human constructions. That yo-yo gave that name for whatever reason. That's nonsense. Let me cloister myself away. Let me open up Zohar and figure out the proper name for this child. Okay, that's one vantage point. What seems to be taking place over here, however, is even in the Gan, the way you're going to establish those names, so to speak, is not through that vacuum of Hayim, through that vacuum of 
through the vacuum of emet and sheker. You're going to develop it. You're going to hem it. You're going to determine based on your life as a human being the way this stuff works because that's how you'll know things best. You can actually understand yourself and the world around you through your life as a human being. Now, if you do that with the structure of emet and sheker, you'll truly be achieving truth. If you're trying to achieve truth, to just state it one last time, if you're trying to achieve and arrive at truth without or with negating your regular human existence, you cannot and will not in an easy, easy way find it. You'll ultimately find some sort of extreme vision of how it should be, but in no way relatable to life as you know it. You'll be able to... What's that? They were... They were supposed to do this in the gun, and they began doing this in the gun. Why'd they have to leave the gun? They wanted to leave the gun. For them, a life of less challenge, a life in which Yidi'ah seamlessly almost Mesh enmeshed with emet and sheker was not enough for them. They wanted a life of more challenge, where the operative reality was not that I had etza hayim right here to eat from together with etza da tovara, but rather really what abounds, what's all around is etza da tovara, and I have to seek and search for the emet and sheker. It means the challenge is magnified. It's not that there was no challenge there. It's what we've stated on many occasions that what happens, and I don't know the answer, but I can only imagine what happens in a harita yamim so to speak what happens in this life which the hachamim described in which process is over you're going to live in your mota mashiach and you'll walk outside and there'll be loaves of bread growing from the ground Nothing knowledge is manifest throughout so then what are we doing so we've said on many occasions it's over if it's over how are we living it has to be that even in such a circumstance, there's still some challenge. It's just a smaller challenge. It's the challenge of the Gan. It's a life wherein there's still Yediyat Tovara, but it's a lot less engaging than the Emet and Sheker. And in turn, it's a lot less relatable. It's a lot less perceptible. You don't really understand it, and you don't really relate to it, you don't really live it. The life, however, that they wanted outside of the Gan, just fleshing out that point, was a life in which the operative reality was a human reality, and they had to search for the Derech Hayim. The achievement was being able to Hemet instead of crafting it just from Emet and Shekhar.